0: Hello and welcome back to episode 4 of the Pop Punk Project. I am your co-host Mike, joined today with my other co-host Keenan.
1: Hello everybody. This is Keenan. On this episode, we will be listening to Sum 41's album All Killer No Filler. Very excited for this one, Mike. Let's rock out. Let's go. So Sum 41, they were formed all the way back in 1996 when we were just mere toddlers, Mike. They were formed in Ajax, Ontario, Canada, which I believe is a suburb of Toronto, originally called Casper. That was something that I found out for the first time the other day. I've been listening to Sum 41 for 20 years or so and just found out that they had a, a name before Sum 41.
0: It wasn't Casper spelled like the friendly ghost, right? It was...
1: It was weird. It was. K-A-S-P-I-R. I I have no idea what it's a reference to. I was reading that they changed their name during a concert on September 28th, 1996, which happened to be the 41st day of their summer vacation. Which, by the way, September 28th, summer vacation goes that late?
0: In Canada, too. Not like, we're not talking like another hemisphere.
1: Yeah, it's our neighbors. That's crazy. It's our northern neighbors. So I was a little shocked by that, but that's why they changed their name. So at the time, the lineup consisted of Derek Wibley, who we know pretty well, I'm a pretty big fan of his, Dave Baxh, who was the guitarist, Cone McCaslin, the bassist, and Steve Yatch, who's the drummer. That lineup is not the same as it is today, but the Sum 41, I think that we know and love Mike, was that lineup. That was
0: the core. And that's,
1: that was the lineup for this album.
0: Right. I do think it's pretty similar today. I know Steve's no longer with the group, but I... Th- I think, is everybody else kind of still members?
1: Yeah, so Derek and Cone, they've been in the band the entire time. Dave left for a few years. I think he was gone maybe seven or eight years, so actually kind of a long time, and he came back. He's been back for the last couple years, and Steve is gone. The original drummer is gone now. The album was released May 8th, 2001, long time ago, right around the same time as the other albums that we've discussed so far. And it was a follow-up to their 2000 EP called Half Hour of Power, which featured a hit song called Makes No Difference. I think that Makes No Difference was their first really popular song, and this was the lead-up to that. This album was a major success. Certified platinum in the US, Canada, and the UK peaked at number 13 on the Billboard 200. So it was a very popular album. Again, this was their breakout. I feel like every week we're discussing breakout albums, but this was Sum 41's breakout as well.
0: It just so happens that with Sum 41 and then previously with Newfound Glory and Simple Plan, it just so happens that their first album really put them on the map right away.
1: So Mike, back to our familiar segment here. What in the world is going on in May 2001?
0: The first current event that we were going to go over was actually one that you were kind of explaining to me. And it involves a U.S. spy plane over China, which can you, can you give me some background? Because I was trying to... Do a little bit of research, but I came up short on this one.
1: I thought this one was pretty funny. And by the way, all this news is brand new to us because we were 10 at the time when this album came out, 11. Right. So all this we're just discovering now. But I thought this spy plane saga was actually pretty hilarious. So in early May, a U.S. spy plane had crashed off the coast of China. And it I guess they weren't allowing the United States to to get the plane back. They weren't allowing them to get the crew and this equipment back. Oh, it was wow. all kind of stranded. Oh, the there. crew, too. So I think everything, okay. yeah, the equipment and the crew were so both. So it was a manned spy plane. I believe so, yeah. I'm pretty sure. So on May 7th, after this crash had happened, the U.S. decided to resume their spy plane flights, <laughs> I guess as a show of force off the coast of China. On May 8th, China barred the stranded crew and equipment from going back to the United States. So another show of force and then fast forward to the end of the month may ninth, china to return down u.s plane <laughs> so i guess china decided that it wasn't worth fighting over anymore yeah. and they gave in.
0: and as we would come to find out we would be involved in enough warfare at this time so probably best that we yeah. ended up avoiding any sort of confrontation with china
1: yeah we don't we don't need that
0: <laughs> there was some um some other inter- interesting news at this time so A Columbia University psychiatrist actually reported that transformation by gays could be possible. So this is back in 2001. So I guess Columbia University, which that's a pretty legitimate university in this country. He was on record as saying that if gays were motivated enough, they could return or revert back to heterosexuality. So this is It's still something you see today that people think that conversion therapy is this plausible solution. Uh, I don't know any gay people that would think that that was a, a great approach, but I wonder where this guy is now. We should probably follow up and see what actually happened to him because 19 years later, I think for the most part, it's more accepted that if you're gay, you probably shouldn't waste your time trying to become straight, but
1: even for 2001 i feel like that maybe i'm wrong but i feel like that sort of opinion or that sort of belief was held by ultra conservative religious groups and not highly educated columbia university psychiatrists i was very shocked yeah. to see that i wonder
0: on. yeah i wonder where the divide was because i feel like nowadays if you are pretty well educated not even do you believe that that is an option but you also don't really care. So, that was some fun news back in May of 2001.
1: And on May 29th, the headline was a disabled golfer may use cart on tour. And the story is in a 7-2 decision, the Supreme Court rules that Casey Martin, who has a degenerative disease, has a legal right under Americans with Disabilities Act to ride during tournaments. So, there were so many opponents of this guy using a cart on the PGA Tour that it elevated all the way to the Supreme Court. They wouldn't let this guy who's disabled use a cart while he was golfing. I,
0: wow. And at first I thought that it might have been like a state or a local court, but no, this was an actual Supreme Court ruling.
1: This was the U.S. Supreme Court, I believe. Yes.
0: And this is also during the time of the contentious 2000 election when the Supreme Court was also busy deciding who actually won. And they had they had enough time to actually look at this golf issue and decide, of course, the disabled person can use a golf cart to, to play.
1: I just can't believe there were so many golfers that were opposed to that, that were like, no way, that is way too big an advantage that this guy who can't walk can use a cart to play sport at a high level. Right. It reminds me of those people who argue against the people in the Olympics who, do you remember years ago during one of the Olympics, I think it was actually Oscar Pistorius who I think is now in jail, but people <laughs> were up in arms because he was running in the Olympics and he had he had prosthetic legs. So that just reminded me of that. It's like people care that much to not let these people participate. Yeah, it
0: kind of stinks that he was a pretty big proponent of including athletes with disabilities and kind of took a bad turn there, but. Shocking. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right. Lighten it up for us, Mike.
0: Yeah, so one of my favorite movies, I'm sure it's one of yours as well, Keenan, May 18th of 2001, Shrek debuts. Ah. Oh, That's the original Shrek. Love it. Not Shrek 2, not Shrek 3, not Puss in Boots, not Shrek the 4th, Shrek. Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, I think one of the staples of our childhood. Yeah. That's a movie that everybody has seen, if you're around our age. It was kind of hard to avoid. It was everywhere. Cinematic classic. And um, I did like that movie Shrek. I remember seeing that in theaters. It was the perfect uh, fine blend of gross, like, sophomore comedy that kids could enjoy. And then the more advanced uh, one-liners that maybe our parents would understand and laugh at. And would just go straight over our heads at the time.
1: Yeah. It's still very funny for adults. Absolutely. Great movie. This headline, Mike... May 23rd, I thought this one was so punk rock. Marco Sifredi becomes the first person to snowboard down Mount Everest via the Norton Calor? Colore, Crap. I, I wish I looked up how to pronounce that word. I, uh, I saw it
0: and I just thought it was Collier.
1: It looks French. It's
0: definitely French.
1: Uh, I don't know. Okay, let's say Norton Collier. This guy is snowboarding down. Mount Everest, pretty badass.
0: And you know if that was today, we would have seen a ton of videos. It would have been sponsored by Red Bull or something oh, like yeah. that. I wonder, GoPro. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if back in the day this guy just did it because he felt like doing it. I hope so. And then another, I couldn't believe this when I was looking at the news, but just a few days later on May 25th, some other Mount Everest news, 32-year-old Eric Weinmeier of Boulder, Colorado, becomes the first blind person to reach the summit of Mount Everest. So
1: That's a big month for Mount Everest. Yeah.
0: Crazy. You have blind people hiking up it. You have insane people snowboarding down it.
1: Just sounds like chaos to me.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I have no desire to ever go hike Mount Everest or any mountain for that matter. Unless it's maybe one of our little local establishments that you could do in a day. But Mount Everest is kind of A crazy place because people just die there and they are kind of just left. Like, that's part of the risk you undertake is that if you die, then the people you're with can't really bring you up or down or whatever. So, I've heard some creepy stories that there's just kind of guys that have been there for a long time in Everest. So, no desire to go there myself.
1: Agreed. Agreed on that. Some national news with a little local flavor mic. June 15th, so not in May, but just one month later, the NBA championship happened and the Los Angeles Lakers defeat our Philadelphia 76ers four games to one. But that was an iconic series. Allen Iverson hitting the three, stepping over Tyron Liu, right? Wasn't that that series? Yeah, that's right. The step over game. And that was an awesome time to
0: be a resident of Philadelphia, or at least the suburbs, the local area, South Jersey, whatnot. I remember there was flags on every car saying be at LA. It was a big deal. The Sixers hadn't been good this good in a very long time since the early to mid eighties back with Dr. J and Moses Malone. So, uh, Allen Iverson was kind of our little engine that could, he was like the littlest guy with the biggest spirit out there on the court. So I feel like he's still a very beloved player in the city today. And even though we lost that series, I think we won the first game. It was a really cool time to be in this city. And the closest we would get to championship victory until the Phillies won in 08, and then another little drought to the Eagles won in 2018.
1: Some Canadian news. In July of that year, we have to put Canadian news in here because obviously Sun 41 is another Canadian band. So far, Mike, our ratio is one-to-one American bands to Canadian bands.
0: I was thinking about that, and I wonder how
1: how long we're going to be able to keep that up. We'll say July Canadian news. Canada becomes the first country in the world to legalize medical marijuana. Something I did not know.
0: Yeah, especially not as early as 2001.
1: What's your experience with this album, Mike? Let's get back on track here.
0: This album is definitely the first I heard of Sum 41. And I never actually listened to this album all the way through until probably later in middle school, maybe 7th or 8th grade, or even early high school. I always was kind of just more exposed to the singles. So I'm thinking uh, Fat Lip, In Too Deep, those kinds of songs. And then even after Sum 41 put out a couple more albums, I knew the singles off those as well, like The Hell Song and some others. But I think around 7th or 8th grade was when I actually first got this album listened to it all the way through. And then from there, it kind of became a staple for me, one of my favorites. But how how about you? When were you first exposed to this album?
1: I think I started listening to it around the same time as you did. And I think I discovered it right around the same time. Because I remember listening to it with you and discussing it with you at that time. But I think consistently through much of elementary school, middle school, and a lot of high school, Sum 41 was consistently my favorite band. And this album specifically was one of my favorites. I think it was between this and Good Charlottes, The Young and the Hopeless, I would consider both of those my two favorites through that time. And so I was very familiar with this album. I listened to it constantly. I knew every song inside and out. And another thing that made it so significant is that we've mentioned it in passing before, but now is the perfect time to throw it out there. You and I were both members of a band called the Gummy Bear Warriors. I was a lead singer. I would consider you a collaborator in the band. I don't know if you had maybe a-
0: Maybe an honorary member.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you had a very specific position, but you would maybe
0: a card-carrying member, but not not in the official lineup by any means. You were the
1: number one roadie, I would say. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> number one and I think only
1: probably. Yeah, that's right. So that made you uh, pretty important. But you were obviously at pretty much all of our band practices. You were you helped out with all the shows. You were always a big part of it, and so. Other people in the band, Tom Mackle played guitar. We've mentioned him a couple times. Paul Nixon was a guitarist in the band. Our buddy Dave Dixon was the bassist, also played a little guitar. And Mike Tubolino, who was our all-star drummer. And that was our band through middle school. And I think we unfortunately parted ways during high school. And I think the reunion tour is coming, but Sum 41 was a band that we covered frequently. So we all love Sum 41. I think it was A lot more of my insisting, but familiar with playing their songs and a lot of them from this album. So a lot of themes on this album, things that we've seen before. I think what makes this different, though, is they do talk about the hardships of growing up. I think that's a pretty consistent theme through the entirety of the album. But as opposed to simple plans, no pads, no helmets, just balls, where it's a lot of whining about being a preteen and being in middle school, and it's a lot of the downside of being that age. This one, it addresses those hardships, but I think it also turns it on itself and it's like, okay, but you can also have fun and take part in some mischief and not just always sulk about it.
0: I would agree with that. In terms of the bands we've discussed and most of the bands in this genre, Sum 41 has always kind of been influenced by more heavier bands. Mostly like heavy metal bands from the 80s, which they even mention verbatim in a couple of their songs, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, etc. So I think while their themes might be similar to some of the other groups we've talked about, the way in which their songs are portrayed are more heavier, upbeat, fun songs and more mopey-dropey songs, I guess you could say.
1: There's also obviously relationships come up a lot, just like the other albums. Difficult relationships and difficult girlfriends, things like that. There's a lot of feeling like people are holding you back, I've noticed. There's a lot of like drowning and falling themes. And one that comes up a couple times is also standing up to authority, which I don't know if we've really seen before. I don't know if that was a theme in Newfound Glory, in Blink-182, in Simple Plan. I think that's a new theme.
0: We've seen a lot of not liking what your parents have to say, but I think for the first time we have a couple songs on this album that are more anti-authority, anti-rule anti-school
1: anti-establishment.
0: Especially for people our age at the time, it was a very cool kind of yeah, power to the people.
1: When they're interviewed about this album, they typically mention Green Day as a main influence. I think Derek cites the album Dookie as a major influence on his writing of this album. But what I thought was kind of interesting, Mike, this is a interesting little tidbit. Whenever Derek talks about other artists that have inspired him he includes rancid which okay that's a pretty classic punk rock band elvis costello are you pretty familiar with elvis costello yeah he's
0: definitely doesn't really fit the the punk mold right well i don't know i guess he kind of had his own sort of flair back in the day i think he was the only act ever banned from snl so that's pretty punk is that true why i don't know I think he either cursed or he did something stupid.
1: Also, you'll love this. The Beatles. Derek always mentions the Beatles as an influence.
0: I love the Beatles. Fans like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones probably influence more people than even ever really acknowledge it. And it's just kind of a lot of people's foundation for, you know, how they first started listening to music, whether it was with their parents or on their own. That is very cool that they kind of branch out a little bit just from... Some classical acts, some more heavy metal acts, and then some some punk acts as well.
1: And then, lastly, he mentions Pennywise, so that's back on brand, another punk group. Okay, you want to pause and wake up Abby and Jack.
0: Sure, I think they are up. Uh,
1: <laughs> I want to talk to
0: Jack. Jack, say hi to Keenan. Put Jack on. <gasps> hi.
1: hi. Hi. Say hi. How is your nat? He can't hear me, Kenny. No. Hi, Jack. What's happening? Can you tell your baby to talk to me, please? Like, what? Huh? Can you tell your baby to talk to me, please?
0: Jack, say hi to Kenan. You want to laugh? Uh-oh. No. Okay. All right, let me put him back upstairs, and we can...
1: All right. That was fun. What a little surprise.
0: (laughs) Oh, boy. All right, sorry. We were ordering dinner, and it went haywire.
1: How does that go haywire?
0: Huh? How
1: does that go haywire?
0: Uh, just Jack crawls all over you and then you forget to put a pizza on the online pizza order.
1: You got more pizza?
0: Yeah, dude. Pizza is like a once a week thing. What, what, like don't you eat pizza?
1: Mm. No. Maybe once a month. Really? I think so.
0: Did that pizza ever come last time?
1: Yeah, dude. Very late. What do you say? Like, what do you even say? Like, Um, It did come. It came like three hours late. It was insane. It was so cold. That sucks, dude. Alright. The first track, Introduction to Destruction.
2: Children of the beast embrace. To scorn and hate the human race. Consume the light that hugs the earth. And aid the womb in giving birth. To a group that will appear and guide you through this final year. The Dark Armies then will come when the song is 41.
0: Introduction to Destruction. So this track is kind of a spoken word start to the album. And it's also very spooky. So nothing that we've seen before in what we've discussed. But it was kind of a very satanic uh, devilish kind of thing and i remember when i first had this album i was putting it into my itunes library and i actually deleted the track i just didn't put it on my ipod did you actually <laughs> yeah it creep me out
1: <laughs> i mean yeah it's kind of creepy but well it's it's
0: creepy and i also would just never listen to it it's like a 30 second it's a fun little thing to have to start out your album but i was never going to listen to it again and it also creeped me out,
1: so I just deleted it. (laughs) I agree with you. It is pretty creepy and scary, and you don't want to listen to it when you're alone in the dark. But I do love when bands will throw on an intro track that is just like something fun and different.
0: Right. I also think it's kind of funny, now that we've just discussed the origins of the band's name, the way that this track ends is... It says the dark armies then will come when the sum is 41. So they try to make their band name into like this creepy, dark meaning when really, as we've learned, it's just because they were on week 55 of their Canadian summer vacation.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I do love how they kind of spun that one in this, in this track. This track always reminds me of, do you remember the show MTV Cribs? You have to. Of course. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, Steve Yacht, the drummer for Sum 41, was featured on that one time. And typically on that show, musical artists, celebrities will put very famous songs. Like if you're a band, you'll put your number one song of all time or your most recent hit.
0: As like your introductory music or your, your background music, walking from room to room?
1: Well, no. the The very intro of it, when they're zooming in on the house and they're walking up to the front door and they knock on the door and the person... And the person answers,
0: Whoa. Oh, okay, okay. So the kind of drone footage.
1: So they'll play a very popular song. Like if you're Jay-Z, it'll play ninety nine problems mm-hmm. or something. And Steve Yacht was on the show and he decided to do Introduction to Destruction. So it was this really creepy intro that didn't really fit. And then he opens the door and he's like, Hey, what's up everybody? I'm Steve Yacht. Welcome to my house and my parents' house And it was just his parents. <laughs> Suburban Toronto house. Right. And so he walked through the whole thing and it's like, picture your mom and dad's house. That's what it was.
0: So it's just kind of like a humble middle class house.
1: That's exactly what it was. Yeah. It was so funny, but That's pretty cool. he decided to use this track.
0: I'm sure that differentiates from most of the Cribs episodes that I remember. Oh, least. yeah. It
1: was totally different. Like he would open the fridge and usually people would have like Cristal or name some other expensive alcoholic drink he was pulling out like a half a gallon of old milk and (laughs) like leftovers in tupperware it was so funny uh so that was like a whole joke and then he was walking around the house and all the members of the band were in different bedrooms it was it was a good episode but that's what this song always reminds me of
0: but that also kind of shows how big of a band some 41 was at that time that mtv cribs did an episode on Sum 41's drummer. Yeah. I feel like usually they focus on the lead singer or, you know, the more prominent members of the band, not to diss Steve or anything like that, but
1: he is listening. So be careful.
0: I know. I'm also glad you said his last name because I can't say his last name.
1: The only reason I know it is because he says it in that episode, which I saw on YouTube (laughs) like two days ago
0: for the people that are listening phonetically. It looks like Steve jocks.
1: Yeah. I think it's Yach. Yeah. Not sure what nationality that is. Maybe just French Canadian. Yeah. Could be. Track number two is called Nothing On My Back. Listening to it and reading the lyrics a couple times, it's all about how things are kind of weighing you down. I think it's just generally about the pressures of life. But I also thought it could have been about getting in with the wrong crowd and a specific group of people holding you back, like you're hanging out with with a bad crowd. Or I also thought there were some lines in it that made me think self sabotaging, because there's a bunch of lines about how there shouldn't be anything weighing you down but you feel like you're being weighed down anyway.
0: Right, with nothing on my back, I can't help but drown. So it's kind of, you are the cause and the root of all of your problems in life, which I'm sure we've all been in that spot when we kind of feel like everything's kind of going our way. If we could just kind of pick up the slack, it's kind of our job to do that.
1: I think maybe they keep it pretty general so that you can insert whatever is Weighing you down, whatever's on your back, it could be a bad crowd, it could be stresses in your life, or it could just be yourself getting in your own way. Because I kind of heard all them in the song.
0: Right. This is essentially, in my opinion, you know, the creepy intro track aside. This is a great way to start off the album, from a musical standpoint.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's a good song. It's very fast. It's very upbeat. We say that a lot about the the first real songs on the album, but it's a good welcome to Sum Forty One. And there's another lyric that really sticks out to me.
0: And especially in today's age, they say that we're all addicted to our tragedy. And I think it's maybe even escalated in the age of social media. You know, you see people posting good stuff. And then you also see people posting sad stuff. And it's like you feel the need to respond. Like somebody posts, oh, my dog passed away. And you need to let them know, I'm sorry. So, I don't know, that line addicted to our tragedy, I feel like that's just become more prevalent in the social media age, which wasn't really a thing at all back in 2001.
1: That's a really good point. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned that, the social media aspect to it, because a future song, I thought the exact same thing. This must be about, or at least today, you can relate this to how social media makes you feel like everybody's doing better than you. Because everybody's only posting the good stuff. We'll get to that. Sure. That's really funny that you mentioned that. But it kind
0: of is true. Like Even without social media, people have always been kind of drawn to drama. So there is this morbid curiosity about tragedy and sadness within our personal lives. So I think this song kind of highlights that in addition to just saying sometimes you are your own biggest
1: problem. I think that's probably exactly what they're getting at. I wonder, without social media, what... What that was back then? I don't know, like chainmail. Chainmail?
0: I'm sure. I don't know. This is without any sort of research whatsoever, but I'm sure the town that Sum 41 originates from, it was probably a smaller town. You said it was like a suburb of Toronto?
1: Yeah, Ajax in Ontario.
0: So it might have been one of these smaller communities where if something happens to anybody in that town, it kind of word spreads really quickly
1: yeah or it could just be drama amongst our probably tight-knit canadian friend group right who knows canadian could be any of those things (laughs) yeah it's a canadian friend group it's the only qualifier i have uh track number three never wake up This one's cool. Newfound Glory had a couple songs on the previous album that we reviewed that I called their mosh pit songs because it's super fast paced. There's that killer drum beat. This is definitely their mosh pit song. And Sum 41 actually has a lot of songs like this on future albums as well where it's literally under a minute long, very hard-driving lyrics. This is that song. This song is 48 seconds long, and it's just full throttle from the very beginning.
0: Yeah, I also never knew any of the lyrics I didn't either other than the titles never waking up the verses are just so quick and so fast and so hard punching that until I actually took the time to look them up I couldn't have told you what they were me neither I would have just said
1: (laughs) it's a song that you quickly rage to and then it's on to the next one which happens to be fat lip
0: right I think this mainly serves as just a huge well not huge a very short but well-structured pump up to fat lip which is definitely one of the cornerstones of this album
1: yeah on their album does this look infected they have a song called anic and it's the exact same thing i think it's like 40 seconds to a minute long very fast paced very angry lyrics and it's actually about it's called anic because it's about anna nicole and apparently they hated anna nicole they hated her reality tv shows they thought she was (laughs) the worst person in hollywood and so it was just an angry hate song about her i wonder if this song is actually about somebody specifically it could be it's hard to tell from the lyrics they don't really there's not a whole lot of references to real people or things
0: the main lyric that they repeat over and over is i plan on never waking up which as a emo kind of middle of the road teenager that's always like a
1: yeah like what if i just never woke up that's a classic yeah trope in pop punk and emo something
0: you wish never happens but actually like you're like well mom and dad what if i did never wake up
1: and without any further ado we talked about how this song is a lead-up song to fat lip which is the lead single of this album it topped all the charts at the time it was actually number one on mtv's total request live mike i know you'd appreciate that didn't you love trl back in the day i love trl after
0: school nothing better
1: It was just an absolute jam back in the day what do you remember about it
0: before i listened to this album all the way through i was more familiar with the singles and obviously the biggest one of those was fat lip and i know we talked back on our first episode about blink 192 i had mentioned that all the small things is always like if you have to put on a pop punk song at a party you're probably searching for blink and all the small things I think Fat Lip is a very, very close second place because I think it's a track that everybody knows and everybody really enjoys and can sing along to.
1: I love how your gauge of how good or how popular a song is is whether or not you could turn it on at a party and everybody would not (laughs) hate you for it. It can be tough sometimes. You go out on a limb. And I wonder when we're going to find an album where... Where there isn't one of those songs.
0: I'm basing this off of a little bit of personal history. Is I was at a Penn State tailgate. It wasn't really my tailgate. It was a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of one of those situations where it was an open, put on a song if you want to listen to a song. And I remember putting the song on and I was feeling really nervous about what would the response be.
1: Putting this song on.
0: Yeah. But everybody loved it. And I was just like, heck yes. Because for the most part, the music we were listening to the rest of the day was kind of more rap or classic rock. There wasn't a a ton of pop punk,
2: so... Well,
1: even if you don't like pop punk, you at least know this song. Mm -hmm. You remember this song from middle school. So people all knew it.
0: And this song is memorable for us for very personal reasons.
1: Yeah. This song was the song that we played with the Gummy Bear Warriors, our band, in the Gwen and Mercy Academy Elementary eighth grade talent show, which, by the way, earlier today, I dug around my parents' old home movies and I found the video of us performing this at the talent show. So, How does it hold up? Boy, is it good. It is just top-notch. So we're going to have to figure out a way to post that maybe on our Patreon so people can see it. But it's it's hilarious. I mean, it's all of us wearing crooked hats, baggy clothes. I was singing with my pre voice. <laughs> Probably some like uh, arm sweatbands. Oh, yeah. I had one on each, <laughs> on each wrist. I think Tommy and Paul might have two. Dave definitely did. Which
0: I think Derek did have in the video. I was watching it earlier, but...
1: Oh, really? Well, that's that's great. I think
0: you did. I think he had maybe the There's logo, like the star logo. Yeah. So I do remember, as you said earlier, I wasn't really a full-time member of the band. I didn't sing or play any instruments, but I feel like I was your biggest fan. And this was a song that to play as a 13, 14-year-old in a Catholic grade school, you <laughs> did have to make some adjustments to some of the lyrics. And I'm actually kind of surprised they let you play it at all, because they could have just as easily had said, no, pick something else. But some of the edits they had you make were kind of funny.
1: Yeah, they told us that we could not say abortion. We had to change that. I think I changed it to proportion, which didn't even make sense. (laughs) But I just needed something that rhymed, and we were dumb, so that was the only thing we could come up with. But it was funny, because when you look back now, we were... 12, 13 years old, and we didn't realize what this song was about. And the song is all about standing up to authority, not conforming. That's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. To us, it was just a song that sounded good, and we could all rap to it. But looking back on it, the teachers were probably like, oh, these kids are out of control. They're trying to stick it to us, when really we had no idea what we were singing.
0: I think you had told me that you had to print out the lyrics. So this was back in like 2005 or so. So I feel like lyrics websites were still pretty brand new. And you had to go to the principal's office and have them review what you could and couldn't say. And abortion aside, which I guess I kind of get for a a Catholic grade school, even though the substitution of the doctor said my mom should have had proportion (laughs) didn't make a lot of sense.
1: (laughs) You could even twist that and make that a very weird meaning if you really wanted to. I don't know. For
0: sure. But they also insisted that the part when they say we laugh when old people fall Oh yeah. They made you change that and say, We laugh when all people fall.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. You gotta keep it fair at least.
0: So you couldn't discriminate against the elderly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there were elderly people at the talent show, so yeah. we didn't want to get in trouble there.
0: It's okay if we laugh when anybody falls, it's just not <laughs> if they're old. As long as
1: everybody falls equally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I that was such a fun time and that was such like a cool part of our lives when you guys were You were one of the final acts, because we were in, I think it was the 8th grade talent show, so... We were the final act. Yeah, so it was like the 8th graders always went last in the talent show. And it's like, we have our own rock band here with us today. And I do remember, during the breakdown of this song, it's a slower part.
2: Don't count on me to let you know when. Do it again. Don't count on me. It's the boy just missing. Don't count on
0: me. I remember I was trying to get a sway going. You know, like a sway back and forth. hmm We didn't have lighters, obviously. But um I remember me, Andrew Spees, and Bill Torres were kind of all on board with the sway to the slow part.
1: Our three biggest fans.
0: And nobody else joined in. <laughs> It was rough.
1: I'm so sorry to hear that. It's all right. But yeah, this song was, it was just an awesome song. And it kind of captures the sense of what do you do when you're stuck in the suburbs at that age? And it was all about going to parties, hanging out with friends, getting into mischief, causing a little bit of trouble, which I think was kind of lost on us a little bit at that age because we liked this song when we were 12, 13, 14. But definitely once you get into high school, the more I listened to it, I was like, yeah. Now I am going to parties and hanging out with friends, and it is fun to sneak out of the house late at night and cause some trouble.
0: Yeah, you're right. I was confused earlier, but you said this was the song that had that rap introduction in the music video? It did, yeah. And you guys perfected that, I would say.
1: Well, yeah, we would, not only would we do it just at our lockers in school, but At middle school dances, in particular, one one that stands out is the St. Rose of Lima dance. You remember that?
0: Oh, yeah. The Rose dances were legendary.
1: Legendary. Crazy stuff going down. Uh, We thought we were so cool. And me, Tommy, Dave, Tubes, we would run around and we would rap it to people. We'd just go up to people and start rapping. It was so lame. But... We thought it was the coolest thing in the world. People would be like, What? And then we'd just run away. <laughs> we're like, dude, the girls are gonna love this. Yeah, that is awesome. That is legendary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if you if you're not grinding on the dance floor, you're rapping some forty one lyrics.
0: I was never one to grind on the dance floor.
1: The other thing, there was one line I wanted to point out in particular, it brought back a funny memory, re listening to it. One of the earliest lines in the song, Trash My Own House Party Cause Nobody Came. <laughs> there was somebody that we were friends with who in high school, was having a party. And he decided to just start mentioning to people at high school one day. He's like, oh, my parents are going out of town this weekend. Come over, invite whoever. And I guess he didn't anticipate it, but not only did our close circle of friends show up, but kids from like different grades showed up, girls from different high schools showed up. And there were literally like a couple hundred people all of a sudden at his house. And he started freaking out. He's like, what am I going to do? And so he decided that (laughs) He was just going to start telling everybody that the cops were on their way, and it cleared the place out. I thought that was so funny. I definitely was not at that party. I don't think I was either. I just know about it. This was high school? This was high school, yeah. This is like mid-high school. It was like, we were probably in sophomore year of high school, so it was still before I was even going to parties and I was drinking or anything.
0: Well, that's a classic go-to, you know? Just call the cops on your own party just to disperse the crowd. Or just
1: lie and say that they're coming. Yeah.
0: Can you hear Jack screaming?
2: Yeah. <laughs> La <laughs> 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 <It's good. laughs>
1: uh, Track 5 on the album Mike is a song called Rhythms. What are your thoughts on this one?
0: It's a tough task to follow up Fat Lip on this album, but this is also another upbeat, really cool song, High Energy.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: I've always seen this song as kind of staying in a failing relationship when you kind of know that nothing's going to come of it, but there's also comfort in being with somebody who you've been with in the past. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking the exact same thing. I thought it was all about... You're dating somebody, and you're starting to fall deeper in love with them, and it seems like they're falling out of love with you, which is such a frustrating situation to be in. And I almost picture, have you ever taken economics? If I have, not in a very long time. Okay. I took economics 101 in college, and I did not do well in the class, but (laughs) (laughs) I just remember there's a graph, it might be the supply and demand graph, where when they intersect and they start going in opposite directions, and I think that's typically a bad thing. Mm -hmm. That's all I could think of when I was listening to the song. It's like one person, their interest level going straight down, yours going up, they intersected at some point in time, and now they're just going completely different directions.
0: I can see that. You know, going off of that, the line, since you found me out, you're realizing the other person doesn't like you the same way you like them. So it's kind of that point in the relationship when maybe you were on the same page for a fleeting moment, but you're kind of both realizing this isn't really gonna work out the way we might have wanted it to.
1: Yeah. And I think the final piece to that is it's called rhythms. And the line in the course is it's just the rhythms that you're going through. And I think that's him trying to convince himself that this is just a phase. She'll come out of it. She'll realize that she does want to be with me. And I think he's sort of I think he's sort of hopeful, but not convinced that outcome's actually going to happen.
0: I think from my take on it, he kind of knows that the end is nigh, I guess you could say.
1: Track number six. This one might have been their second single from the album. Maybe the third single. But it was another very popular one. It's called Motivation.
2: What's the point of never making mistakes? Self-indulgence, such a hard habit to break. It's all just a waste of time in the end. Don't care, so why should I even pretend? Motiv-
1: and that's definitely a classic feeling that you have when you're a teenager, where you're lacking the desire to really do anything. It's hard to get out of bed. Feels like everybody's moving ahead without you. It's very similar to the song Nothing on My Back. And Mike, this is actually the song where I was thinking about social media, how it looks like everybody is getting ahead of you and everybody's life is perfect. And you're just finding it hard to even do the little task right.
0: Yeah, I think this is definitely a song about being young and apathetic and just not feeling motivated whatsoever. But I also think there's There's a portion of it that says, what's the point of never making mistakes, self-indulgence, such a hard habit to break. So I think in addition to finding it hard to find your motivation in life, there's also something to be said for trying to put yourself out there and really not worrying about the consequences or what other people think of you.
1: Yes, that's a really good sentiment. I think most people listen to this and they're probably focused on the negative aspects of it, but that's a nice way to look at it. Thanks. Have you seen the music video for this? I have not. I haven't seen it in a while, but I think it's them rocking out in somebody's attic. I don't have a lot to say about it, but I just remember it being pretty cool. Cool. Have you ever seen the movie Goodfellas? Yeah, of course. There's a scene in that movie where it's this one really long shot where the main character is taking his girlfriend on a date for the first time. I can't remember any of their names. I should have looked it up, but taking her on a date for the first time, and it's this one really long take with no cuts, and he's walking her through the basement and through the kitchen of a very famous nightclub Mm -hmm. and everybody's shaking his hands and he's slipping tips to people and they walk to a table and they get a table right out front and there's a very famous popular comedian who's performing and they're served very quickly and there's a song playing during that scene during the entirety of that scene that's called then he kissed me and it's by an old i think motown band called the crystals oh yeah i know that song do you know the song can you imagine it right now Hmm, I can. Do you think that sounds like motivation? Can I hum them real quick? Yeah, sure. Motivation goes na 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 Then he kissed me. Goes na na na
2: na 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 na.
0: This is kind of the same thing you did with the um, I Would Walk 500 or 5,000 Miles.
1: <laughs> oh, is that what the song's called?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> it's one of those.
1: Yeah, the I thought the Simple Plan song sounded like the Proclaimer song. Yeah. Right. I keep doing that. I'm not sure why, but I keep hearing these old songs and these pop punk songs.
0: That probably, I would say, is not intentional, but maybe unintentional.
1: I don't know. Influence. Yeah, maybe. It's just weird because you wouldn't expect songs like Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals to really influence a band like Sun 41, but... Right, I wouldn't. I suppose it could happen. Yeah. Derek does list Elvis Costello and The Beatles as his influences, so...
0: Right. As we mentioned earlier, he definitely is is using a wider array of influences than we might be used to with these
1: bands. So track number seven is In Too Deep, which I think this one is actually... The second single from the album. I think Motivation was the third single. I think this was the second one. Really popular, obviously not as popular as Fat Lip, but I would say pretty close.
0: You're right. I think this definitely was the second single, which in turn, it's definitely the most or the second most listened to track or popular track on the album. I feel like this was a more radio friendly single for them. It was more melodic and more a standard pop punk track at the time. I think Fat Lip's kind of an outlier. You know, it's kind of like nothing else at that time into deeps kind of a more a song that you could kind of see on Y100 in a heavier rotation
2: Maybe we're just right.
1: And it's similar to a couple of the previous ones. I think Probably Nothing on My Back, Motivation. I think it's also just kind of about falling behind, feeling like life is weighing you down, especially relating to middle school, high school kids. These guys were young when they wrote this. I think Derek was 20. I think most of the guys in the band were 20 to 21 when this album came out. So they were a little bit closer to those feelings of never feeling like you have enough time always feeling like you're constantly falling behind and in too deep is you feel like you're in the deep end of a pool. Like you basically can't swim. You're drowning. Everything is too much to deal with in life. And the music video for this song really stands out to me. Do you remember the one, Mike, where they're at a diving competition?
0: It's quite literal in terms of- It is quite literal. Being in too deep and trying to keep your head above water. You know, it is a diving competition between some 41, the outcasts, losers, and then this group of diving jocks.
1: Yeah, it's so funny that they depict these these divers as jocks. And I know that it's a <laughs> very hard sport and I I knew some divers and I know that they are top class athletes, but the music video is hilarious because the guys in sum 41 show up in baggy bathing suits down to their mid shins to ankles.
0: They're capri pants essentially. They're capri's essentially, yeah.
1: <laughs> baggy clothes, spiked hair, and then you see these four dudes in matching tiny red Speedos. They're chiseled. They're smacking each other on the butt like like athletes would.
0: They're all Baywatched out.
1: Yeah, they are. It's hilarious. And then you see this diving competition. And what I realized, I never knew this. I was doing some research into the music video and it's actually a parody of a Rodney Dangerfield movie, apparently a classic called Back to School, which I had never seen. I bet our older viewers probably know what it is, but I'd never seen it. But apparently there was a very famous diving competition scene in that movie.
0: I know the film and I know uh, Rodney Dangerfield and his brand of comedy, almost like a classic dad joke. Like, take my wife. No, seriously, take her. Like, (laughs) I think that was one of his bread and butter lines. But yeah, I believe the premise is he kind of goes back to school with his son, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm not familiar with the scene that this was actually derived from. So it was new to me when I was watching it. I didn't realize that It was actually a reference to uh, a former piece of media.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. But it's a funny music video. And you see these ragtag guys going up against this legitimate diving team. And they do some crazy dives, lots of flips. One of the things that was really cool when Dave, the lead guitarist, dives into the pool. He is submerged for a minute. And then after a minute, he reappears out of the water with a guitar and that leads into the guitar solo in the song so that was always a cool kind of iconic scene i think that was also a spoof of another famous band had some sort of pool solo i think it was like a classic rock or a heavy metal band that they were big fans of
0: yeah i did notice that in this video dave is wearing an iron maiden t-shirt which we talked about earlier some 41 is definitely influenced by the heavier bands out of the 80s scene So I thought that was cool that they try to pay homage to them through, you know, their shirts and their music.
1: Yeah, and they do that a lot. They do it a couple more times in this album, too, which I think we'll come across. For sure. But In Too Deep is one of their more famous songs, catchy.
0: And there's also the kind of understanding that maybe we're closer, or maybe it's closer than it is too far. So maybe talking in terms of a relationship, you might feel like you're overwhelmed or drowning in a more... um, dramatic sense but maybe you're closer to common ground than you might
1: realize track number eight is called summer Summer is a theme that we've come across a few times before. I think every band that we've covered so far has either a song with Summer in the title or is about Summer or they heavily mention Summer. The newfound Glory one was called It's Been a Summer. Right. And we talked about that one. And then Simple Plan, I don't know if they had... Was there a Summer song on No Pads, No Helmets, Just Balls?
0: Um, There was a song that alluded to Summer being gone, which was kind of a negative connotation
1: oh yeah that's right the
0: summer's gone or the summer's over that was a way for them to describe their sadness
1: and simple plan has a newer song called summer paradise do you know that one it's really good
0: i think i've heard it it's a more kind of poppy song
1: it's like slower
0: so i don't know it
1: <laughs> no Oh, it is like it's poppy uh sean paul is actually featured in it so <laughs> maybe that maybe that means it's poppier than others that's awesome yeah, it's good. It's like a classic. I think the music video is them on some tropical island on a boat. It's got a very summer feel to it, like a very feel-good vibe to it. But uh, Blink-182, they talk about summer and feeling this. I, I'm sure they mention it on the album we discussed, but this is Sum 41's quote-unquote summer song. And this is controversial, but Fat Lip was always my favorite song back in the day. I think the more I've grown and the more I've listened to the album, this one is actually currently my favorite song on the album.
0: This is one of my favorites as well. It's not my number one, but it's really high up there. And I think we both have found that the opening lyrics to this song are our favorite on the album, if not our favorite lyrics on a pop punk album in general. Of all time. Of all time. The opening lyrics are, It's far beyond your reach. It holds a place in time. Somewhere ahead is the back of the line. I love that. Those are really kind of, in my opinion, pretty good lyrics for pop punk. Like a lot of times we'll analyze these lyrics, but there's not a whole lot of depth to them. But that's just a great line if any band had written it.
1: Somewhere ahead is the back of the line. It's like no matter how far you think you're getting, there's always plenty of time to wait.
0: There's still people that have done it before you. There's still people ahead of you. It's really discouraging if you think about it.
1: You claw your way to the front and you just never get closer. That one has always stuck with me, you're right.
0: And in a more literal sense, remember back to when you were a kid and you would go to a theme park or a water park and you'd be so excited to to ride on the big rides and you would run through the queue and then you would just hit this fat dad in a tank top.
1: (laughs) Around the corner, (laughs) there was always like a much longer line. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You wouldn't realize that you had to actually wait an hour to ride Steel Force until... You're kind of halfway through the line and go, oh, well, this isn't going to happen anytime soon. So it's frustrating.
1: Maybe we we're thinking a little too in depth in the song. And maybe they really just were talking about Steel Force. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> Space Mountain.
0: When we visited uh, Philadelphia, we loved that crappy amusement park <laughs> in Allentown.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we always stop there on our way to Philly. <laughs> and man, that line outside of Steel Force.
0: <laughs> do they have amusement parks in Canada? They probably do.
1: Do they have them? (laughs) Hmm. I don't think so. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to consult our Canadian friends.
0: They haven't gotten there yet. (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but this song is cool too because it was actually on their EP. It was on Half Hour of Power, which was their EP from the year 2000. And it was the hit from that EP and they decided to re-record it and put it on this album. So whenever I listen to this song, it always reminds me of that old EP and some of the old videos. And Sum 41 was big about posting like home videos, posting tour videos. And I think the music video for Summer is actually a lot of behind the scenes footage. And they always had hilarious clips of them finding a sign for their concert with those letters where you can replace the letters and change it and make it say something funny. Right. And they would be setting off fireworks in hotel rooms and I don't know, there's something about this song that makes me think of those videos, which I've, trust me, I've seen a lot of them. And they're just fun, and they feel good.
0: Yeah, we kind of got into Sum 41 right around the time that YouTube and even before that Windows Media Player were kind of becoming a way to uh, digest songs and videos. So when you have bands like Sum 41 that were constantly putting out new videos, whether it was official music video releases or just stuff like this where it's time on the road, As young fans, you would love just watching hours worth of those videos.
1: One of the funniest ones that I love the most that I've watched so many times is them buying these intense super soakers and riding around probably Ajax (laughs) and just spraying people out of the window, spraying people who are working in front of grocery stores, spraying people who are walking on the sidewalk, which is like, honestly, kind of a dick thing to do. But oh, yeah, it was so funny in our preteens watching videos like that, right? And there was one that they called the pizza heist, where they put stockings over their faces and they rolled up to a pizza place. I assume they knew the person that was working there. But the four of them ran in with super soakers, sprayed the guy, grabbed a pizza, and then ran out.
0: (laughs) That's part of the allure of Canada is you can probably rob a lot of places without being fearful of being shot. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Maybe if you're slower than the person holding a knife, but...
1: yeah. Even if you got in trouble, the cops were probably so polite to you anyway, it was probably just a slap on the wrist.
0: All right, well, don't do it again, eh? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Especially uh, if you're
0: some 41, man.
1: I know. I mean, I think they are the biggest thing to come out of Canada in the last 20 years, to be honest.
0: I think you're probably right, at least in terms of music.
1: Track number nine is called Handle This. It is a slower song on the album. It might be the slowest song on the album.
0: Yeah, I think there's not many songs that are slower. And that's not even to say that this is a slow song, just slower. Yeah. It kind of starts slow and it builds up. And this is actually my favorite song on the album. It reminds me of a couple songs that they would put out later in their career on their future albums, like Chuck and Underclass Hero, kind of more melodic ballad type songs. And I just think they do a really good job with the harmonies on this one. And it's always stood out to me, especially in more recent years. So like you were saying on your favorite song, Summer, well, you always think of Fat Lip when you first think of this album, obviously I'm kind of in the same spot as that. But the more I would listen to this album, the more I was like, I really like this slower song kind of two-thirds of the way through. And I think it sets a really good pace for the remaining songs going forward.
1: Yeah, the tempo of the song's a lot slower. I also kind of got the message that it was about trying to help somebody with self-destructive tendencies or people trying to help you and you have self-destructive tendencies. I think there were mentions of both in the song, and there are a couple pretty interesting things about that. One, that was a very similar theme to our favorite song from the Newfound Glory album Sticks and Stones that we reviewed last week, The Great Houdini. That's your favorite song, right?
0: I love The Great Houdini. (laughs) If I didn't make that crystal clear last week, let me reiterate, I love The Great Houdini.
1: (laughs) The Great Houdini actually had a very similar message. It was all about you're unable to help somebody who clearly needs help, and so you kind of give up on them. And I think this one was kind of the same thing, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, the chorus is, I will bring you down. So you are just kind of facing the facts that you are destructive or whoever you're referring to whoever Derek's singing about in this track it might be himself given what we know about his history of abusive tendencies with alcohol and things of that nature you're pretty much just coming clean to the person saying I will bring you down so it's your choice if you want to stick this out or not but yeah I don't know if you can handle this
1: as he mentioned it's really ominous because years later Derek almost dies from alcohol addiction And when he should be in the prime of his career and health-wise should be in his prime, his liver and kidneys were shutting down because of just years of alcohol abuse from touring. Apparently, he would drink every single night he was on tour before shows, after shows, would get blackout drunk and then wake up and do it again. And so he was in the hospital for, I think, a couple months recovering, and he was He lost a ton of weight. He was essentially a skeleton and then came back and rebuilt himself up and was able to release more music and is much better today, but obviously cannot drink or do drugs anymore. Right. But it's very ominous when you listen to the song and think about it with that in mind, knowing that that's going to happen. It's almost as if he's predicting his own future.
0: I think we might have talked about it in past episodes, but I'm sure a lot of these guys being on the road all the time, when you're just on the bus after a show, you're still kind of riding a certain higher euphoria and you might turn to substances in order to try to continue that until the next day or the next show. This might sound bad, but I'm surprised that we don't hear more stories like this and I'm just glad that he was able to kind of uh, luckily he was okay and he was able to kind of correct himself and get back on track in terms of prioritizing his career over alcohol abuse.
1: Track 10 is called Crazy Amanda Bunkface. Right away that title Stands out.
2: I'm with you.
1: But I think this is their crazy girlfriend song. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of Newfound Glory's something I call personality, which is all about having to constantly defend yourself when dealing with a crazy significant other. And this one specifically, I think, is about an ex. He's always talking about how it's impossible to deal with this person. There's a line that says, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, just, not I'm, so so I'm, sorry, I'm just not as keen on planning out our perfect lives when I'm only 19. So this person's trying to pin you down. and
0: Right, no, but it's essentially somebody saying, you should know who you are and what you want when you're 19 when the other person might be like, hey, I'm still trying to figure out who I am and what I want out of life. I know everybody kind of develops and matures at their own pace, but 19's a young age to kind of want to hammer down if you want a wife and kids or if you want a family or if you want to stay single and, and tour the world and whatever. So I've always thought of the blink line, nobody likes you when you're 23 just the stating of an age of 19. It is hard to plan out your perfect life or your ideal life or what you want out of your life when you're just 19 years old. You're still kind of really in the in the thick of learning who you are as a person.
1: Yeah, it always makes me think of when you write a song about an ex-lover. What do you think those people are thinking if they know the song is about them? Think of Taylor Swift. Whenever she writes a song about a guy who she dumps, is that guy like, "Oh hey, cool, like I have a song written about me. That's awesome. So many people are going to listen to this. Or are they like, wow, I can't believe you made that public. I'm so pissed. I guess it depends. Like, what's the reaction to that?
0: If you compare it to Taylor Swift, then I'm sure a lot of them might not care since I'm pretty sure she has songs about Joe Jonas and Harry Styles and really prominent musicians in their own right. Yeah. For a girl like whoever crazy Amanda Bunkface is, maybe she's going around town in Ontario showing people this song saying
1: this is her big claim to fame.
0: Hey, this album just went platinum and they sang about me. <laughs>
1: yeah. I always wonder that is like, if it were me, I think, I don't know. I think I would just laugh it off and be like, Oh cool. All right. Some famous person wrote a song about me. Awesome.
0: I wonder if her name actually was Amanda or, you know, if this song is about an actual person, if they changed the name to protect the innocent or if they just went for it.
1: Yeah. Whenever I read Crazy Amanda, I always just think of Amanda Bynes because she was also, I don't know if anybody in the band actually dated her. I haven't done the research. I don't think they did. I don't but think so. she was very famous around this time. I think she, her popularity was growing. And then, as we know, she went a little crazy.
0: That's true. And I think she went crazy after this album. But that would be funny if somebody came out of Montgomery County, PA with a song called Crazy Keenan Bunk Face.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <It's like, laughs> what does Bunk Face mean?
0: I was wondering about that myself. I don't know if it's like...
1: Is that derogatory? I don't know. I'm sure it's not flattering.
0: I googled different iterations of what is Bunkface, and the only thing I could find besides this song was there was a Malaysian rock band that actually named themselves Bunkface after this oh. song. Okay, yeah. So it's probably derogatory, but I, I don't know what it means.
1: I'm going to go on LinkedIn later and look for Amanda Bunkface, and maybe she'll pop that. <laughs>
0: like, does it mean Butterface? Like, she's an attractive girl, but she doesn't have a, a pretty face?
1: Uh, Oh, like, you could, you would say something like, she has a bunk face.
0: Yeah, like, her face is unattractive. Maybe. But, Jeez, that
1: would be pretty harsh. And I
0: don't even think we, we haven't even mentioned yet, but Derek was married to Avril Levine for quite some
1: time, right? Yeah. I don't know about quite some time, but they were definitely married. Like, a number of years, years, I think. Yeah, they they got divorced. I think she left him because of his issues with alcohol and drugs at the time. Right. And then she married Chad Kroger from Nickelback. That's right. Yeah, she's... Yeah, another Canadian rock star.
0: Another great Canadian artist who we actually will be discussing next week.
1: (laughs) Nickelback album? Hey, I'm all in on that. Maybe that
0: can be a um, Patreon exclusive. That sounds good. They were married for four years from 2006 to 2010. Okay. So,
1: so not that long.
0: Not that long, but like longer in terms of... Celebrity relationships? The lifestyle that they were living at the
1: time. That's fair.
0: And Avril Lavigne is also Canadian, so they were like the royal family at the time.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. The only other thing that stood out about this song was, and I think we may have both picked up on it, there is a heavier breakdown, there's a heavier bridge in this song than in other Sum 41 songs on this album. It's like a really heavy guitar part, and it's very similar to newer Sum 41. And there's an evolution in the music they make where they kind of get heavier and heavier from album to album. Does this look infected as the album after this? And there's some heavier songs on that. And then you get to Chuck and it's very heavy. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of classic metal sounding songs, which I think are coming straight from Dave, the lead guitarist. I think he was a huge heavy metal fan. And so there are breakdowns on those later albums that sound a lot like the breakdown in this song. So it's almost foreshadowing that transition to a heavier sound.
0: Yeah, I think once they reached a certain point of success and stardom, they probably were able to feel more comfortable with putting out music that they were more interested in making and listening to, as opposed to maybe their earlier stuff, you know, that was what was popular at this time. So they were able to kind of put their own spit on that with a with a heavier undertone. Yeah, like you said, as their albums go by, they definitely kind of
1: gravitated more towards the heavier sound it is worth noting that some 41 is a band that has had a lot of different sounds through the years you can sort of follow their evolution and a progression in the way the instruments sound the way Derek sings and while most pop punk bands that get popular their sound tends to get even poppier mm-hmm. like they become more mainstream they become more radio friendly i can think of countless bands that do that some 41 kind of trended in a different direction they got heavier and louder and angrier and it's kind of a weird fluctuation it's a different transition than you would typically see
0: yeah i think that's part of the reason why i mean i know you're still a fan to this day i would still call myself a fan but if i'm being honest i haven't kept up with each new album that comes out but i stuck around with buying or downloading some 41's new album on the release date for a while much longer than some other bands that i really loved growing up Track number 11, All She's Got.
2: This place reminds me of a time that's way too old.
1: This one feels like it's about being with someone even though you know they're not right for you. Like it feels like there's an expiration date on a relationship. You know there's nothing serious beyond just kind of a temporary fling. And it reminded me a lot of, do you know that SR-71 song, Right Now? I do. The chorus is, She May Not Be Miss Right, She'll Do Right Now. Right. It feels a lot like that. It feels a lot like, okay, this is fun for the time being, but let's be honest.
0: Yeah, you're just admitting to yourself that, is this the woman or the man that I'm going to marry? No, it's not. They might just be a placeholder or they might be a source of comfort or content for that point in your life, but you know that they're not going to be the people that you spend the rest of your life with.
1: And I feel like a lot of relationships are typically like that, especially through high school and college. It's kind of hard to really think about a serious future with relationships when you're those ages. So I feel like maybe Derek and the guys in the band were probably talking from experience like at 19 through 21, you kind of know the person you're dating then isn't going to marry you and have kids with you.
0: Right. Have you ever had a relationship like that where it's kind of just you're counting down the days of... You don't have to be specific. (laughs) But, I mean, do you know the feeling?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much all of them, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not married, so I guess every single one is like that.
0: There's ones where you can tell that they're more promising than others, I guess you could say.
1: I think there were relationships where I had serious thoughts in my head like, oh, could this person be the one? And could this be a long-term thing or could this be a permanent thing? And then there were ones where you kind of knew that it was probably not going to last. Yeah. I think everybody has those.
0: This is where I can't be of any help because I'm married and I don't have any sort of fun stories about girls that I've dated that hate me or that I hate.
1: <laughs> I feel like all the relationship songs, I feel like I'm pulling a lot more weight than you are because yeah. you found the right person and that was it.
0: My lyrics would be, believe her and get married and have a son. <laughs> <laughs> Then just be bored and have nothing to, to <laughs> add to the conversation.
1: Yeah, there's all these complexities about exes and if you are still friends with them and if you hate them and you're no help.
0: I mean, I feel all those things and I'm sure Abby will say the same about me.
1: <laughs> oh, it's about your current relationship, your your marriage?
0: No, I mean, there's still days when we hate each other and there's days when we're really happy that we're together. Yeah. But she's not a placeholder, I can safely say that.
1: Well, that's good news. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm happy to hear that now that you guys have a kid together. Yeah. Speaking of the band SR71, to go back to that for a second, do you know any other SR71 songs? I
0: don't think I do, unless they sing that song "Little Black Backpack."
1: That is not SR71, no.
0: Okay, then no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I can't either. I was just curious if you had, but when I had the thought that those two songs reminded me of each other, I. I just went online and I started reading about SR71 and looking at music videos and stuff, and they're clearly a one hit wonder. But can you picture them? Do you know what that music video looks like or no? No. The band looks like your stereotypical pop punk band. The lead singer has like a Karen haircut where it's like short on the sides and there's like a a long front. It's kind of combed over. It's a dyed red. Oh, it's just, it's a great look. He has like big hoop earrings, I think.
0: Maybe eventually we'll venture into albums like that where we know one song and it's like, what if we had actually bought this album back in the day? I would love to do that.
1: I think we have to do that. Because
0: there's probably other songs worth listening to, honestly.
1: They probably have some good songs and we just, they never hit the radio or anything.
0: Right, right, right. That's like a plane, right? Or a helicopter in SR-71?
1: SR-71? Yeah, I think it's a type of military plane.
0: Okay. For the record, Little Black Backpack. Was by the band Stroke Nine.
1: Yeah,
2: that's right.
0: Just so we don't have to add that in later and people aren't pulling their hair out screaming at me.
1: You're only so worried about what the pop punk crowd is going to say about us.
0: Well, I just, I've just i been in that position where I'm screaming the answer at a host that just can't put their finger on what they're trying to come to the conclusion of. But.
1: Let's be honest. That's most of this podcast. I feel like we're just searching for answers and there are people out there that know the answers.
0: That's true. poppunkproj at gmail.com <laughs> Yeah.
1: I mean, it is a project. We're still working on it. Right. Track number 12, Michael. It's called Heart Attack.
0: This has always been, I had said this about Simple Plan's song, God Must Hate Me. I always kind of would listen to this song just because it's called Heart Attack. And it's like, what is this song about? It's kind of like a slower song that leads into a faster song. So is that like, is that the heart attack? Is it like a slower heartbeat into like a faster heartbeat? I don't know.
1: Is it mimicking heart palpitations?
0: It could be. Is that what
1: you're getting at?
0: It could be. But if you actually read through the lyrics, there's not really anything that alludes to, because there's plenty of hot punk songs where they're like, giving me a heart attack, blah, 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 like that sort of dramatic spin attached to it. But this is not one of those songs.
1: Oh, isn't that one of your, isn't that one of your things too, where you're, you always pick up on when bands mention body parts. Yeah. There's another one for you. Yeah, you're right.
0: I actually wasn't really tying that together, but.
1: Yeah, that just came to me.
0: I do think they allude to body parts or like body actions a lot.
1: Yeah. To your point, I don't know if it really references a heart attack, but. The tempo of the song does vary a lot. Maybe that's the Heart Attack reference that you mentioned. But I did always love how it starts out really slow. Like, it sounds like it's going to be the slowest song on the album. It sounds like it's going to be another ballad. And then all of a sudden, the drums come in, the heavy guitar comes in, and it's super fast. And it goes back and forth from slow to fast, slow to fast. We don't hear a ton of songs like that. I think because it it kind of makes you feel a little bit on edge that it's constantly changing. But it's a cool song.
0: I really think that the second half of this album is just so solid in terms of, like, the majority of the singles are kind of towards the front and middle of the album. The fact that there's still this many strong songs at the end, I think, is a real testament to Some 41, especially on their debut full length.
1: Well, Mike, it's all killer and no filler.
0: We never really talked about the album name either. Yeah. Like, there's no filler
1: tracks. There's no... It is pretty funny how these guys named it All Killer, No Filler. That's a pretty bold thing to do, because all it takes is one critic to be like, what? There's tons of filler
2: on here.
0: Yeah. I think it mostly is killer. I don't know about All Killer, but you got to be passionate, and you have to be confident. And we're still looking at an album that's about 32 minutes in length, so there's not a whole lot of space to be filler anyway.
1: I think they should rename it Mostly Killer, Just a Little Bit of Filler. Yeah,
0: Just a Tad Bit of Filler. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You know, something that rolls off the tongue.
0: Yeah. But this song is kind of, it's kind of a theme that we've seen before. It's about maybe not wanting to grow up or at least remembering how much fun it was to not really have to grow up and have responsibilities. There's lines about not worrying about the alarm that you've been ignoring. Yeah. I can still relate to this song.
1: I think you could look at this song two different ways. I think it could be very negative in that it's hard to wake up and it's hard to do everyday tasks and it's easy to be lazy and things like that and you're like, oh yeah, like that's how I used to feel back then. Everything was so terrible and life was so hard. But the way that we both seem to look at it is on the very optimistic side. They talk about hitting snooze on the alarm, I'm thinking about Saturday mornings rolling out of bed not having to work, not thinking about your job, not thinking about paying bills. Think back to middle school when you would just wake up on Saturday and you could go watch Saturday morning cartoons and eat sugary cereal. That's yeah. all I think about when I hear this song.
0: That's part of the chorus is why I get up? My morning doesn't even start until two. Forget reality, waking up is hard to do. Your day didn't start until at least noon Yeah. back when you were like 13, 14 years old.
1: Well, it's funny because that's both your middle school Classic life, and also the rock star life. It's basically the same life. True. You go to bed late, you wake up late, you eat sugary cereal, and you do it all again.
0: Yeah. I remember growing up, we would usually go to church on Sunday, and if we were going to 10.45 instead of 12.30, it was like miserable. It's like, how do you expect me to get up and get ready by 10.45? (laughs) It's just like, are you kidding me? I didn't drink. I didn't do it. There's no reason for me... To be tired or be lazy. Yeah. I just was like, this is insane that you guys are expecting me to get up and ready to go by 10.45.
1: If 12-year-old Mike could talk to 29-year-old Mike, man, what a conversation. Waking up at 5 a.m.
0: Buckle up, buckaroo. To tend to your
1: infant son.
0: And then there are just those random nights when he decides he's not going to sleep at all. So I just sleep for six hours in a rocking chair.
1: That sounds like a real blast.
0: I would love some sugary cereal and cartoons.
1: (laughs) I think with this song, it could go either way. You could either think about how difficult it was back then, or you can think of how much easier it was. And I'd like to think of how easier it was.
0: Yeah, I definitely think this is a more lighthearted song than critical song, I guess.
1: And then the final song on the album, track 13, it's actually kind of similar to the first song, where it's, it's not meant to be a radio hit. It's meant to be kind of fun. They open the album in a very fun, lighthearted way, although scary.
0: Very scary.
1: And then they close it in <laughs> in a pretty fun way. The song's called Pain For Pleasure. sounds like an 80s heavy metal hairband type song Mm -hmm. and you mentioned that the guys in the band love Iron Maiden I think they all I think Iron Maiden was one of their favorite bands growing up and so I think this was an homage to that it was an homage to Iron Maiden and that type of music that genre in general it's obviously not the same pop punk sound that we heard earlier
0: right when we say all killer no filler just the first track is like it's an introductory track it's not meant to be anything special, just kind of a fun way to start the album. We've mentioned in past episodes like bands letting themselves have a fun track to kind of, all right, we met our criteria, we met what we want to accomplish with this album. Let's take a fun song for ourselves and just record something that we're going to have a great time playing at our live shows. And for that reason, this isn't my favorite song on the album. It's always kind of one that being the last track, I kind of maybe would just turn off the CD after. Wow. Old. I don't know. I mean, giving it some justice. When we saw these guys live back in 2007, they played this song, and I think it was the most fun song of the night. Yeah. Did they
1: dress up for that?
0: I don't remember.
1: Okay. Because I know that in concerts back in the day, they would typically leave. It might even have been the encore. They would leave, come back, and they would be wearing, like, long wigs old school outfits
0: like hair metal outfits kind of
1: yeah it was like hair metal
0: that's pretty cool i was trying to find the set list for the show we went to so i think it was back in september of 2007 at the trocadero and i i couldn't find that exact night but i did find some set lists for around that period on on that tour and i think pain for pleasure was their final song of the night so i guess part of the encore but also the last song they would play
1: yeah and it's a cool song because derek goes back and he plays the drums and then steve will come forward and he'll sing it and i was actually reading that steve wrote this song in 10 minutes while he was on the toilet wow it didn't take a whole lot of effort but he just wanted to get out there and sing a song and be a metal band for a couple minutes
0: They do a really good job. Like, the guitar is awesome. I'm not trying to dismiss it entirely. Like, I don't hate the song.
1: Can't you just have fun for once, Mike? Yeah, no, it's a fun song.
0: I'm just saying might just be a little bit too heavy for my liking.
1: How about you just take a chill pill and have fun for once?
0: (laughs) I could. That's what they wanted (laughs) to do, though. They wanted to make a heavier song. So kudos to them for doing that.
1: And then Dave singing in the background. He's got that hairband scream that he does. Oh, it's so good.
0: We've talked about some really good closing tracks. Like, I know we thought that Perfect was a great closing track. This is just kind of a weird closing track for me, I guess. Is that safe to say?
1: Yeah, that's fair to say. I think you're waiting for a big send-off and a big hit to close out the album, whereas I see it as they started it in a humorous, lighthearted way, they end it in a humorous, lighthearted way. But yeah, no, I totally get what you're
0: saying. I could see that, too. It's bookended pretty nicely in terms of the devilish, medley side of this band that they've kind of embraced in the years going forward.
1: So why is this album important to us? Why is it significant? Like the other albums we've discussed so far, it's important because it was a huge success and it caught the attention of a wider audience and it caught the attention of other famous bands. After this album dropped and gained a big following, they had tour offers from bands like Blink-182 and The Offspring right afterwards. And then they spent the rest of 2001 touring. They performed, I think it was something like over 300 concerts that year. Wow. Yeah, so they were performing almost every single night. That's one thing that I do know about Sun 41 is they spend a ton of time touring, which actually is part of the reason why Derek got in the trouble that he was in because he was always on the road, always having too good of a time, and it caught up to him. But that was important because they were visiting cities outside of Canada. They were visiting cities outside the United States. They're flying to Japan and having these humongous shows. And all of a sudden, they were an enormous global success.
0: It's kind of crazy that the past couple of weeks we've been discussing these albums, it does seem like a lot of these bands did kind of shoot out of the gate really quickly. Even though, as we found out earlier, Sum 41 has been around since 96. They even put out an EP. But this kind of was their rocket into superstardom.
1: And it sort of fit right into the other humongous pop punk albums at that time when you list your top five albums from pop punk's heyday this definitely makes everybody's list
0: yeah it's one of those where it's like they have similar themes as what we've heard before and surely what we'll hear again in terms of growing up having issues with exes or significant others but they've kind of taken a more mature and fun route with it whereas. At the end of Simple Plan, when we were discussing that album, I think we both enjoy the album as a whole, but we were kind of like, eh, grand scheme of things, not sure how we really feel about this album.
1: I think the themes on that album were just like, oh, this is very middle school, and it's very, like, sad middle school.
0: I think it was Absolute Punk, Uh, maybe a review they did on this album, but I think they said that it's just vague enough and just specific enough to kind of stay relatable, so... Yeah. Whether that was their intention or not, I think it's kind of true, because we're not the 12-year-olds we were when we first heard it, but like you just mentioned, it's still one of our favorite albums of all time, so obviously you always your mind always kind of travels back to when you were first really diving into an album or diving into the songs, but there's definitely going to be bands that we come across when we've kind of lost a connection with them, and I don't think Sum 41 is one of those groups.
1: Right. And instead of thinking back to the nights where your parents punish you and don't let you go out with friends and the nights where you're feeling all alone, when you listen to this album, you're thinking more about the fun parties from those days. And you're thinking about the hijinks you got in and yeah, pulling pranks, the eggs you threw at houses yeah. and, you know, the fun stuff, doing stuff that you might look
0: back on now and think that was really stupid or like, man, I, w- I was a creep, but. In the moment it's just kind of fun. Yeah. There is definitely a more kind of punk vibe to this than other albums we've discussed. If you watch their music videos for Fat Lip and In Too Deep, I think they kind of try to do a, a job of like highlighting the fact that they want weird people and people of all different walks of life to enjoy their music.
1: Yeah. And I think for me personally, Mike, this album definitely spoke to me more than others at that time. Some forty one was my favorite band. This was my favorite album for a number of years. And it was the first time that I fully wanted to consume content beyond just the music. So I was watching their music videos constantly. And I was looking for tour videos. And I was watching documentaries about them and buying their clothes and going to their shows. I think their tour shirt was one of the first band tour shirts that I ever bought. So this was like a really big moment for me listening to pop punk This is when I decided to go all in on the genre, I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah, and you had the honor of singing these songs at your live shows too. And as hopefully everybody will come to see, as I've already seen today, you really almost hit every note word (laughs) for word. If we superimpose you singing over Derek singing at a concert, it would be hard to tell the difference.
1: Yeah, except I would describe Derek as maybe a a mid-alto, and I had a nice, beautiful soprano at that time.
0: Other than that, though, <laughs> I think we can safely say, of all the albums we've discussed thus far, which I don't want to get too far into this, because we could be saying the same thing every single week, but I think this is definitely a highlight for us. I think that's yeah. safe to say. Undoubtedly. And I was also, before we go, I have to mention, I was looking at pictures of Derek Wibley earlier, and he honestly just looks like Terrence and Phillip from South Park. <laughs> Like, is
1: he... and they're canadian right yeah
0: and the... i and i was like why does he look familiar i'm like oh he looks like terence and philip
1: does the top part of his head and the bottom part of his head fully disconnected the mouth it or...
0: looks like it could <laughs> if you were just watching a, a photograph and not obviously when he's on stage he's more animated but in just looking at google images it looks like he could just like separate at the jaw <laughs>
1: I can't tell if that's a dig at Canadians or if that's a legitimate observation. but
0: I don't think I know enough Canadians to really know. But <laughs>
1: I'm going to Google image Canadian right now to see <laughs>
0: <it>. <laughs> I was trying to think of why he obviously he looks familiar because I know who he is. But it was one of those things of what does he remind me of? And I was thinking,
1: oh, it looks like Terrence and Philip. <laughs> at what age do you think he stopped spiking his hair straight up? I don't think he stopped, has he? I hope not. He hasn't stopped. At what age do you think he stops?
0: Oh, okay. So he's 40 now. Uh. What's the over-under on this? Oh, I don't know. Well, let's say 55. There's no way. I think he's going way beyond it. Do you think his hair is still natural? think he has to put plugs in?
1: Do I think it's naturally bleached blonde? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it looks so natural. No one can tell. Imagine the just-for-men gel of like, Malibu blonde, and it's just like Derek Wibbly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd buy it if that were the case, and I don't even have hair, so
0: that's true, dude. You could reinvent your hair as like spiky Derek hair,
1: like as a wig, or do I actually have to try to grow it out or a combo? Just get some plugs, some plugs, yeah. Okay. As long as I can look like him, I'm fine with it,
0: man. Going through his Google images, it's like. It's weird. There are some really cool, good pictures, and then some really sad, bad pictures.
1: There are a couple pictures of him right before his body completely shut down where he looks terrible. Yeah. He's like bloated. Yeah. His hair looks weird. He just looks very unhealthy. And then there's pictures of him right afterwards when he's going through recovery where he's like super skinny, clearly on the mend. Well. So, yeah, it is a little dark.
0: We hope that he's still doing good because he's brought a lot of his passion to a ton of people over the years so
1: of course hopefully
0: yeah. he's still on the straight and narrow
1: it seems like he's doing great right now i i check in every now and then mike so
0: awesome All right. Well, that was a great episode, Keenan. It was really fun discussing this with you. And I know we have another favorite of mine lined up for next week. Fallout Boys, take this to your grave. So I'm really excited to go over that one with you next week.
1: Vintage Fallout Boy, early Fallout Boy, the best Fallout Boy. I think I can agree with that. If you guys want to get in touch, you can reach us on Gmail. We are poppunkproj. That's P-R-O-J because somebody stole the other one at gmail.com our instagram is at pop punk project twitter at pop punk project and if you want to support us on patreon we will be putting fun stuff up all these old videos of the gummy bear warriors playing i found a bunch of those we'll be throwing them up that's patreon.com slash pop punk project thanks so much again we hope you had the time of your lives good riddance